This is a Crib Room Podcast. Bringing you industry news, views and happenings. Our Industry Link Media Podcast, The Crib Room. It's now consumed in over 40 countries and wherever it is that you're listening right now, thank you very much for your listenership as we continue to grow our figures week on week. Episode 20 and our guest in the crib room today is the Honourable Mia Davies, MLA, looking at Western Australia politics. Mia is the Central Wheatbelt MLA and also the leader of the WA Nationals. We'll be covering off such items as royalties for regions and also a look at how the iron ore policy has recently been rescinded by the WA Nats. Mia joins us in the crib room. Welcome along to episode 20. This is a crib room podcast. Our chat with Mia takes on a little background before we get to the modern day very soon, but Mia, welcome to the crib room. Thank you. Uh, let's let's first of all talk about your journey into politics because at uni you looked at media and marketing and you studied that, went off to London, came back from London and you started working in a politician's office. Where did the fire for getting into the political field come from? I think it, it grew over time for me. I grew up with it. My father was heavily involved in the National Party as I was growing up, but I had never had an, a burning ambition to be a member of parliament. But I really enjoyed working with the team. At the time, it was Max Trenorden, who was the leader of the Nationals, um, and a very young Brendan Grills came onto the scene probably almost at the same time that I started working in the party. And there was an energy that had been created. Um, we were in opposition, but there was this real optimism about, you know, re-engaging with regional Western Australia and um, we could see that there was going to be some hard roads ahead for those communities under a Labor government, unfortunately. Um, but they're good people, the party and the organisation. And I think for me that's always been why I've loved being involved is that they share their – the core values are about making a community better, investing back in your community. Um, and for me – the opportunity really arose um, when we were heading into the 2008 state election and I was third on the ticket in the ag region and we'd never really um, won three in the agricultural region. But we had a very successful outcome with royalties for regions and I found myself as a member of parliament. And so you take those opportunities when they're offered to you, don't they? You, you, you pick them up and and run with it. And it gave me a great chance to, to give something back to the community that had helped shape me. And you started off, obviously, as you mentioned, there in the Legislative Council for the Agricultural Region into the central Wheatbelt seat. So you made the jump from the, the upper to the lower house. What prompted your change? Is it the fact that you started to realise that you were looking to make a bit of a difference in the community? Yeah, I mean, I th- you can do that in either house. They both have very different roles, and I'm one of those that have experienced both. And they do have different roles from a legislative perspective. But I think in regional Western Australia, every regional MP is expected to to pull their weight because there's so few of us. So the real opportunity came when Brendan made the decision to shift from the central wheat belt up to the electorate of Pilbara. And I'm born and bred in the central wheat belt. I wouldn't have run anywhere else. Um, and so for me, again, it was an opportunity that presented itself. And there is a very different feel to being a lower house MP. There's a sense of ownership of that member and of your electorate. Um, and uh, it focuses what you do in, in the parliament and with your time. And I was ready to make that jump. Um, very, very big challenge. Hadn't, hadn't had a female in that um, electorate um, ever. And uh, and Brendan had been a big personality, as had Max Hendy before them. Um, and so it was, a, it was a big ask. Mm. 
2013 was when you switched over to the Legislative Assembly, but that was also a big year. You became the Deputy Leader of the WA Nats, elevated to the Ministry. You took on numerous portfolios. There was water, forestry, sport and recreation in that term, uh, which are all very vital And when you break that down into the, the, the central wheat belt role as well. Um, but there were some big projects that came into fruition. Royalties for Regions was in place. Talk about your initial four-year term for us because uh, there were no doubt plenty of achievements that you're, you're very happy that came into fruition during that time. Yeah, so the first four years, uh, I think any a Member of Parliament would tell you, I was Member for the Agricultural Region um, and part of a new government, Royalties for Regions, was just being implemented. And so for us, it was actually... Uh, you know, creating something from nothing and really building uh, a structure that would allow us to uh, deliver the the promise back to regional Western Australia. So generate all this wealth from the from the mining sector, the communities that support the mining sector and um, and regional Western Australia in general, and creating a structure from nothing because there was there wasn't an opportunity to to actually deliver that through the development commissions at that point. they'd been very underfunded. We started talking about things like the real basics, you know, health and education. And so if you ask me what the, the biggest achievement from my perspective was in those in that time, we created a program called Southern Inland Health Initiative. Um, there was about half a billion dollars going into rebuilding most of the hospitals in the southern part of the state. Um, we talked about attracting doctors where we'd had doctor shortages, um, acute doctor shortages for many years. We... Uh, pioneered telehealth, proper telehealth into regional Western Australia and have really transformed the way that we deliver health services into the community. There was an aged care stream. Nothing is more, I think, um, heartbreaking than having to watch your grandparents or your parents leave the community they helped build when they get to a certain age because there aren't the facilities in that community. And we've now got dementia level um, aged care in many of our communities as a result of royalties for regions. On a broader scale, from a ministerial perspective, we had a program called Border for Food, where we were um, looking at expanding irrigated agriculture across the state. Uh, but we were also doing groundwater investigations, which was also supporting um, other industries to develop. So doing the things that no individual business should do or could afford to do, that's where I see government's role, opening up the opportunities for the private sector to invest. 2017 was also another change, and this led to you becoming the leader of the WA Nats. Uh, do you remember your first meeting as leader? Was it scary? What did it entail? Not scary, because I'd been working with my colleagues for some time in the role of deputy, um, but it was a sense of occasion, without doubt. You know, I'd stepped into the role. Um, it came with some firsts, so first female leader of the Nationals in Western Australia, first female leader of the Nationals of any Nationals in Australia, um, and, you know, I, I think also relatively young, although we'd had Brendan uh, Brendan Grills and, and Terry Redmond prior to that, so... Our party, I think, um, is a, a very takes a, a really positive approach to being inclusive. We've got people from all different walks of life, and that's what I love about it. The first meeting, um, quite nerve wracking, and also slightly, you know, devastating because we'd found ourselves in opposition, and it was a really bruising process. And we'd seen so much change come change come about because we'd been in government with royalties for regions being delivered. And regional development's hard. You've got to keep doing it. And we could say that was all about to stop or change very significantly. And so we dealt with that for a little bit. And then you just have to pick yourself up and, and get on with the job because good government demands good opposition. And so you've got to learn how to do that. And that's really what those first few um, months, even year, 
was for all of our MPs. Some of them had never, they'd come to the party and we'd only ever been in government. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a learning curve. There's no doubt about that. Now, as a good leader, and, and uh, our podcast goes out to a lot of leaders in the mining industry, uh, as a good leader, you need good people beside you. First of all, uh, Jackie Boydell, who uh, has since relinquished her role, but you worked very closely with Jackie in those first, what, three, three and a bit years? Yeah, Jackie's just stepped down, so she's made the decision not to run at the next election, And but she, she became the deputy leader, um, and Jackie and I had worked together for a long time, and you're absolutely right. I can be the leader of the party. I'm the one that's out front. Um, I'm the one that you see in the media um, having these discussions but in a small political organisation or any political organisation you need to have good people around you and I think that's the same for any business community organisation doesn't matter what everybody needs to be kicking in the same direction um, they need to be enjoying what they're doing uh, there needs to be fulfilment and a sense of purpose and I think that's something that's really important because opposition is tough and so keeping the morale up making sure that people know that you're out there having a go on on their behalf um, and making sure you've got really good people around you that will complement your skill set um, I learned that very early on in the piece um, that you needed never to be afraid to ask questions never to be afraid to have people that are smarter than you in the room and around you to help support you. I think that's really important. And Jackie's a bit of a ball of fun. Bops into the room, doesn't she? And just it becomes this energy ball. Jax is um, a really good contrast to me. So, yeah, absolutely. High energy, not afraid to speak her mind, um, always happy to challenge. And I think when I was deputy, both her and I, when I was deputy to Brendan and Terry, that's very much your role is to try and bring that balance to play the devil's advocate, to make sure that you're actually thinking about things um, differently outside of the square. How do we do this in an organisation that needs to continually evolve to keep delivering for our constituency. Now you've got that role with Shane Love. Um, Talk to us about the basis for a good relationship between the leaders of the organisation moving forward and and going through that change process too. Communication. Yep. Expectations um, about and understanding what each person wants to get out of the role and um, understanding that they've got strengths and weaknesses just as I have strengths and weaknesses. But it's communication every day of the week. Um, So... There would be multiple conversations between Jackie and now myself and Shane. Um, I rely heavily on Shane to make sure that uh, because we have members of parliament spread right across the the state um, and we can't always be meeting in person, I think COVID's been really interesting because we've had to operate almost like uh, many organisations have had to switch to in the last COVID period, in the last three months. We've been having to operate like that, you know, forever because we're not all in the same room altogether. We can't always work in, in and see each other each day. So we've got a very distributed workforce, I would say. Um, and so that means you've got to get really good at being on the phone, on the text, um, making sure that you have a, a clear understanding of, of what we're trying to achieve. Mia, just last week, the Nats WA announced a plan to cease the iron ore policy that was instigated regarding the special iron ore lease rental from $0.25 cents to $5 a tonne to raise $7 billion over four years. I'm sure you elevate policy all the time, but why was this one in particular dropped? Well, we review all of our policies. You wouldn't go to an election and then not have a look at what you've what you've taken for the the following election. Uh, there were a number of reasons why that policy was conceived and then we were happy to promote it and not least of which, uh, if you'll recall, there was no GST coming into Western Australia at that time. It meant our bottom line as a state 
was under serious pressure and we had been in government. We wanted to make sure we had a solution for the challenges that the the budget was facing and this was one way that we could see that the state could raise some funds. We've only got access to um, things like royalties, things like stamp duty, payroll tax, fees and charges um, that come through some of our licensing. Uh, Without that GST component, we were facing some really challenging financial times. That's obviously changed. Uh, Part of the the reason of bringing that policy to the table was to get the mining industry and their voices, the weight that they brought to the argument, to the table, starting to lobby the federal government to actually find a solution because it was just getting no traction at the time. Six months down the track, GST was resolved. um, And so we're in different financial circumstances now. And so needs must. um, we, We don't need to pursue that policy at this time. That's not to say that we don't look to make sure that we're talking to um, the mining sector in uh, in and how they contribute to our community. I think there is a social responsibility and a corporate responsibility for uh, those that are managing a non-renewable resource to make sure that they're actually uh, contributing back to the communities that support and, and host them. There was quite a large campaign that was run against the Nats at the last election. Uh, how did this go internally? Because you did lose the mining seats of the Pilbara and Kalgoorlie, and no doubt you thought you are expanding your foothold, which was pretty great, you know, from primarily for pastoralists and farmers and then yeah. into into this mining sector. Um, but then it's all halted. Uh, how did that sort of blow go to you at that time? Yeah, as I said, 2017 election was, it was bruising. Um, but I would suggest that, that particular policy and the the ability for us to be in the campaign being talked about, um, generating discussion, um, it actually resonated with a lot of people. Maybe not the amount, maybe not the way that we went about it, because it was something that came very close to the to the election. So perhaps it needed a greater period of time for people to get used to it. But um, it also, I think, in a in a wave of the Labor Party coming to government meant that we really lost minimal number of seats and we lost them definitely in the mining and parcel region. You could absolutely put that down to the fact that there were people linked to the mining industry that were being told they would lose their jobs as a result of that. And people, you know, when it it affects them, they will vote accordingly. So, you know, that's something that we we took into consideration. As you said, we evaluate policies before we go to the next election. Uh, Now, this is a pretty big question, this next one, so just bear with me. Um, I know royalties for regions in WA is part of our vocabulary now, and at a federal level it's been skimmed around. However, a comment of the inquiry into how the mining sector can support business in regional economies committee almost two years ago to this date that we record states... The West Australian Royalties for Regions program should be maintained and similar programs should be adopted in Australia's second and third biggest mining states, Queensland and New South Wales. Other states and territories with smaller sectors may want to consider adopting similar programs, especially if their mining sectors grow substantially in the future. And that, therefore, led to a couple of recommendations. Now, it's a pretty wordy sort of background to a very short question, but I understand it's more a federal question as well. But from a model that's shown it works in WA, whereabouts are we at in terms of trying to get something federally for royalties for regions? Look, we've um, been very very strong on advocating to our colleagues at a federal level that they would do well to um, to, to look at some sort of program where we could partner with, with Royalties for Regions and other states that have got 
versions of this. Um, I think it demonstrates to people that the government understands that regional Western Australia or regional Australia is important, that it's worth investing in. It makes and focuses the attention of Treasury and government departments because it has to be spent in the regions. And that's something that whilst, you know, that, that sounds odd to say, but typically money gets spent where the people live. And that's not typically where our mining um, communities are or our regional communities are. There's very sparsely populated areas in regional Western Australia. Hard to get that cost-benefit argument over the over the line. Cost-benefit analysis of projects in regional WA, very hard to make work. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't invest. And that's what Royalties for Regions does. Uh, I think that initiative being translated into a federal program would be, would be welcomed by everyone. Um, and we continue to try and advocate um, into our federal colleagues to to see to see their support grow for it. But you know that's something that we continue to work on. Regional airfares is another one, especially to mining towns. Just recently, we've seen BHP who have taken on the initiative to open up their charter flights to to residents. But regional airfares to mining towns are extraordinary. Pilbara, Northwest, Goldfields, Queensland. The reasoning that we, we keep getting back from the airlines is fuel burn and it's less flight time than Sydney to Melbourne, even though we're flying, you know, from Caratha to Port Hedlands, you know, from Perth is probably about an hour, hour 40. They get $40 flights. Now, I know there's a lot more people travelling that golden triangle around Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, but the demand is there. The Nats are fighting for airfares to be more fair. What's the justification in prices and how are we expected to get regional lifestyle benefits when the cost to get to the regions is quite high? It's something that you've been championing yourself. I know Vince Catania in his transport portfolio is quite... Um, quite prominent about as well. Yeah. It's it, there's, it's not fair for WA, is it? No, and it's absolutely an inhibitor. So, do you know, I've flown out to Kalgoorlie today. I'm catching the train back to my home in Northam because the flights, obviously, as a result of COVID, haven't come back. But the costs the cost structure is um, really challenging. And what we don't know, there's no transparency. There's no transparency in what these airlines' cost structures are. There's probably a couple of ways that you could cut it. I'm not sure I'm a big fan of um, simply putting taxpayers' dollars into an organisation like a Qantas or a Rex. I don't think that actually changes the amount or the cost of the fares for the punter at the end of the day. Um, you can look at regulatory change. So uh, there's this. There's always been this big push that you should have um, greater competition delivers better outcomes. But in a very thin market like we've got in Western Australia, I'm not sure that's true. And in fact, when you we saw Virgin and Qantas flying into a community like Exmouth. They used to arrive at the same time. The prices were the same. There was no drop and eventually Virgin pulled out. So competition for competition's sake doesn't work in a market like uh, Western Australia. So you would see us, if we were in government, I think looking very closely at the, the regulate, regulated air routes. Um, at the moment, the ones that are uh, commercially viable have been cherry picked, and then you, you're left with other communities being, um, you know, <laughs> ridiculous fares, and that their schedules uh, are, are not fair. It's our public transport network essentially, uh, and yet we see very little support coming from the state to actually manage the costs for everybody. And that includes, you know, you see the great graphic holiday destinations like your Exmouths, uh, Albany's, or Esperances, but then there's also other little places like that are serviced for mining, such as your Lavertons, your Leonoras, and good luck trying to get a flight out of there. So whether it's for business, whether it's for healthcare, whether it's for family, um, whether you're a big mining company or whether you're a small contractor, if you're reliant on uh, air travel to get your employees or for them to manage you know, their, their life and 
I think people would be shocked that lived in Perth that had to do that on a regular basis. I mean, you're talking exorbitant fees. And so that's for us something that we continue to, to champion. But I, I am reluctant to say that you would just put a pot of money on the table and, and subsidise it because all it does is goes into the pockets of the airlines. Mm. I think you've got to be, we've got to be smarter about how we approach that problem and not be afraid of the word regulated. Mia, the Nationals have drifted in times from farmers and pastoralists to a very broad regional base. What does the future hold for the Nats? And I know there's been a a little toe in the water towards the metro area, but you're still trying to probably get those fringe metro areas on board for the Nats? From my perspective, we we still have some ground to gain in regional Western Australia. And and I love the fact that I can tell people when I've got you know, candidates in seats like Kalgoorlie, the Pilbara, uh, in Albany, that when they select a National Party candidate, they come to a table of other members of parliament that sit around and we just talk about regional WA. It is our sole focus. It's our point of difference. It really sharpens what we do in terms of policy development. And I think regional Western Australians need that voice in our parliament. There are so few seats and so many, so few representatives from this area that you have to have that block of votes. If we then move into the metropolitan area, I think we we become no different to the other parties. And you can see that um, then diluting the effectiveness that we have in terms of our representation. So if you ask me, I'm I'm about regional WA. I want to talk about projects and funding and investment, how to make sure that we are creating a better future for our kids and our grandkids who want to live out here and the businesses that want to invest out here. Um, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I, I'm not uh, one of the from the lines of thinking that we need to be in the metropolitan area. Um, we're 113 years old. Uh, we've always had a reason for being. We were the farmers' party when we started, but we have evolved into a party of geography as opposed to ideology. And we we need to make sure that we are looking at all of those regional seats and being able to represent them effectively. One last question. What needs to be done to claw back your support in the Pilbara? There was a massive swing towards Labor, which took out Brendan Grills in the last election in Kalgoorlie. Uh, I suppose the three candidates who were there from the Nationals, the Liberals and also uh, Labor were very broad in their, their votes. And, you know, it was a you know bit of paper separated all of the votes. What needs to be done to claw back your support in the mining areas? Yeah, I think um, it was a big swing to the Labor Party, but you know we we were only I think it was about two hundred and fifty votes out of it in Kalgoorlie, and a, it was about a handful of votes in the Pilbara. So we weren't by any means blown out of the water. So there's that level of support. People understand what the Nationals have delivered for. Uh, the goldfields and for seats like the Pilbara and the Kimberley, um, they can be guaranteed that we'll have strong candidates. We've got Rowena Olsen in Kalgoorlie. We've got Scott Bourne in uh, in the Pilbara. We've got uh, a really good upper house mining and pastoral ticket that's just been pre-selected over the weekend, led by Nick Fardell uh, and another goldfields boy from uh, out here, Tony Crook, uh, and then strong representation in the Pilbara from uh, David Gillum. And uh, we're the only ones that are talking about returning the integrity of royalties for regions, uh, delivering on programs that actually make these communities um, better places to live, work and invest. So decentralised decision making, getting your population built up here, not talking about projects in the Perth metropolitan area like Metronet. We had an example that came across my desk the other day where there's about half a billion dollars being spent on a flyover on the Armadale train line so that their commute is 90 seconds faster. And then I'm out in Kalgoorlie and I'm talking to the community about um, the fact that they can't get doctors and that they can't um, send their kids or that the training opportunities aren't here for them to allow them to do their tertiary education and, and then proceed into a job. 
I think that's what you get from us. You get priorities and you get us being prepared to have a fight. And so in the goldfields in particular, but up in the Pilbara, they want someone that's going to stand up and have the fight for them. And that's what we can promise. Hey, Mia, thank you very much for your time. I know you're on a strict time regime with us, but uh, thank you very much for joining us in the crib room. And welcome to our little home out here in West Kalgoorlie. Yeah, thank you. I think it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic concept and I really appreciate the opportunity. The Crib Room series of podcasts are produced by Industry Link Media. Subscribe to podcasts via your audio platform and via industrylinkmedia.com. This is a Crib Room podcast.